We're going to read a passage in Genesis 32. It will uh, appear on the screen behind me in a moment. We're embarking on a new series uh, on the life of Jacob. Jacob is an Old Testament character, one of the most famous names and personalities in all of the Bible. Uh, Often God is called the God of Jacob. Jacob gave rise to the whole nation of Israel through his offspring. He and uh, his... uh, he had more than one wife, which we will discuss going forward. <laughs> it's not, uh, it's not uh, our way now, but uh, that was going on back then. Um, but uh, Jacob had, of course, 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, just for fun, I looked up the number of times that Jacob's name appears in Scripture, and I think it's 349 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot of mentions, and close to 30 in the New Testament as well. Uh, and, uh, and so we're going to explore his life. Jacob was far from a perfect man, and, uh, but we will learn even through how God worked with Jacob um, in, his, in his life. Uh, there are lessons for us all in Jacob's life, lessons in many aspects of life, lessons about faith. Anybody here need help with your faith? Uh-huh. Uh, lessons about Parenting, lessons about relationships, lessons about marriage, lessons about trusting God. Uh, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll extract and glean out of Jacob's story some of those lessons. And I hope they're helpful for you because we as Christians need God's word to teach us how to live, how to live wisely and in faith. And so we will find that. From the, from the introduction that we gave about this series, it goes like this. For a large portion of his journey, Jacob didn't get to experience the life he would have preferred. Hmm. Yet it was in this second choice world that God shaped and molded a man of faith and a man of great influence. As we follow the strange story of his life, we'll encounter lots of truths about God and about ourselves along the way. Yes, I said the strange story of his life. And as we go along, you'll say from time to time, That's strange. Uh, It is. All of our lives are strange in some way or another. So uh, we'll we'll learn as as we go. You know, in the end, the story I said, it's about parenting, about marriage, about faith, about character development, all those things. In the end, bottom line, the story is a story about God. And we will learn about God, things about God that are very important in the way that he works with and raises his son, Jacob. Confession. I don't really like Jacob. Not very much. Character in script, characters in Scripture, many of them I really like. I love Joseph, who appears later on in Genesis. I love Moses. David's a cool guy, great warrior, song, songwriter, poet. Daniel, I love his faithfulness, his steadiness. Job, I love Ruth and her life. Esther and her life. Deborah. The warrior prophet I love, and so many other New Testament men and women. Jacob gets a fair bit of ink in Genesis, as you will see, but I find I never really warm up to him. But the more I get to know him, the more I've come to respect him, and perhaps you will too. And we'll be amazed at God's grace. I'm going to uh, have slide number two come up. Oh, Let's look at slide number one. I forgot that. 
why do we study stories in the Old Testament? Seems so long ago, so irrelevant to our lives. No, it's not. Nothing new under the sun. There's all kinds of lessons here. But Romans 15.4, Paul writes, for everything that was written in the past, and this story comes from the long distant past, 3,000 years ago. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We need that. And we shall access some of that encouragement and endurance and hope just by studying God's ways as he worked with Jacob. <clears throat> I've titled this morning's message, The Prayer. And we're going to break in later in his life and uh, read a prayer that he made at a certain point in his life. And we're going to investigate that prayer a little bit and then draw out some lessons for us uh, in, in an introduction to his story and his life. The prayer comes out of Genesis 32. And uh, it's after J Jacob's life has... Uh, has gone along a certain way, and we're, we kind of get used to the way his life is going, but then some developments begin to happen rather quickly, and we find him praying. Let's, let's read the prayer. Slide number two uh, comes out of Genesis 32, 7 to 12. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that has left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted." That's our passage this morning. <clears throat> if you don't know the story and you don't know the backstory and the context of this whole story and all the things that happened in the years leading up to this moment, uh, some questions should pop up in your mind if you're at all curious. First of all, it says, in great fear and distress. Why was Jacob so afraid? Why was he so distressed? Uh, we'll find out for sure. Um, it's the first time in the whole story we ever read of Jacob really being afraid, and yet here he is trembling in his boots. Uh, the, the big question is why? And then it talks about Jacob divided the people who were with him, and it seems like quite a large entourage of people were traveling with Jacob. Where did they all come from? He says, I crossed the Jordan with my staff only, like a stick, and I'm coming back with a lot of people and camels and sheep and cattle, and uh, how did that happen? We'll see. And, uh, and then he, sa he says, uh, if Esau comes and attacks me, who's Esau, right? Uh, it's his brother, uh, his twin brother, and we'll follow, get into that story next week. But uh, why is Jesus Esau uh, uh, coming to attack him? What's been going on? Interesting question. And then we read in verse 9, then Jacob prayed. What you need to know is this is the first time in this whole lengthy story that we read of Jacob ever 
praying. He didn't have much faith for the first half of his life. And, uh, but we read here, this should, be, this should lift our hearts and, and surprise us when it says, then Jacob prayed. What did he pray? Well, he says he addresses God and he calls God the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. I'm going to come back to that a little later this morning. And he goes along to say, I am unworthy of all the kindness and the faithfulness you've shown your servant. Um, this is the first time Jacob ever sounded so humble either. I am unworthy. Uh, this is interesting. What's he unworthy of? Uh, he's, and it's the first time he ever speaks of God's kindness and God's faithfulness. I hope that you and I speak much of God's kindness and faithfulness and realize we too are unworthy, but Jacob certainly was. But now he's putting it into words. Now he's saying it, what we've known all along. Now he's saying it, and he's saying it in a very humble prayer. You might say, if you didn't know Jacob, you might, you might say, uh, eh, what's the big deal? The Bible's full of prayers. Uh, you know, praying people out, that's what the Bible's about, right? Uh, the, the surprising thing is, is that Jacob is now praying. Uh, and uh, you say, well, he sounds like a nice guy, sounds like a humble guy, admitting he's unworthy. This is surprising also, as I've been saying, because this is a great turn of events in his character, in his way of thinking. And you'll notice here in this line that we're looking at, he refers to himself as your servant. Never has he called himself that before to God. And uh, so these are very important things. And then he says in verse 11, save me, I pray. That's a humble cry for help. That's new also in Jacob's life. And then in verse 12, he says, but you have said, he's reminding God of something that God had said. He's recalling it to mind. And uh, that is also interesting because what God said there, and Jacob quotes it, was said 20 years previous. And it seemed like Jacob never really heard God, but apparently he did. And now it's coming out in his prayer and his faith is attached and focused on what God had said. And he's asking God for help there. God, you said, uh, when, when you pray, do you, do you use scripture? Do you quote scripture? It, it's very appropriate to do so because when we pray, we're, we're, we're exercising faith. Faith in what? Faith in what God has said. Uh, as we pray for, for needs and for what God is like and what God will do in our lives and what we need him to do in our lives, it's important to have lots of scripture stored up in your heart and in your mind and to work it into our prayers. So I encourage you to do that as we go forward in life. So there's Jacob exercising faith, learning how to walk by faith. So there are some of the, the questions that arise out of that prayer that I <clears throat> note again, it was a very significant moment. The question is, what's going on? A few things to wrap up this morning, four, four things we need to know. Four things we need to note. First thing you need to know, just in case you didn't know, is something about Jacob the man, Jacob himself. What kind of a person was he? Very briefly, he was a self-centered, self-serving, self-promoting man who, instead of serving others, used them for his own purposes. I told you I didn't warm up to him very well. He was a liar and a manipulator, a con man in our terms. He shamelessly took advantage of a handicapped old man who happened to be his father to enrich himself and get ahead in life. 
For the first half of his life, Jacob had no faith, no relationship or regard for God, and he seemed to have no conscience. For those of you who are named Jacob here, or have named your, one of your sons Jacob, don't go to Service Ontario tomorrow and get a name change, all right? His name comes to be a good name. As God changes this man, you can name your children Jacob or use your own name Jacob with honor. Uh, but uh, he didn't start out so well. Okay, the second thing we need to know is this concept of second choice that I've, I've titled the whole series Jacob's Second Choice World. You say, hey man, that's not very upbeat. Second choice, like who wants second choice? Yeah, we'll get into that. For a large part of his life, Jacob lived in a second choice world. There's an author uh, who wrote a book. He's from the UK. His name is Viv Thomas. <clears throat> and uh, he, he worked for years with Operation Mobilization. And he wrote a book called Second Choice, Embracing Life as It Is. And he investigated the life of Daniel, uh, who lived in a second choice world. So we'll use some of those principles and investigate the life of Jacob. So Viv Thomas writes this as he introduces the idea. Slide three. <clears throat> what we would like is to survey our options, look at the alternatives, and then make our choice. This simple process radically shapes Western culture. To a significant extent, we earn money, gain position, and get educated in order to achieve a position in which we shall be able to respond to a range of choices. Money, position, and education are intended to give us the power to go for our preferred options and make our choices. In our ideal world, we choose our job, choose our spouse, city, entertainment, company, community, and religion at leisure with freedom. Most of us like to have our first choice. And so do I. And so do you, I know it. And we grumble when we don't get our first choice, don't we? We're raised in a culture. We're raised in a culture that, this isn't all bad, but you just need to know this, that, that, that encourages you to, to go for the max. When you have a commencement address at the end of high school or graduation, the end of university, they bring in a speaker and that speaker says, the sky is the limit, aim for the stars. There's nothing you can't accomplish, you know, trying to encourage all the grads to, to go out there and take the world by the throat and, and, uh, <clears throat> and make it your, what do you call it? Anyhow, make it your oyster, something like that. I don't think that was right. But. And, 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 and we're, we're told, you know, go get your first choice. Uh, churches can uh, hear this language too, by the way. And you can go to conferences and you can read books and they, and they will promise you almost, you follow my five principles and your church will be 5,000 fervently worshiping Christians pretty soon. You know, like, really? And, uh, or, or uh, you know, ch churches are told that uh, your church can make a big impact in your city. You will turn heads as a church. Uh, your church can be amazing. And we all think, gosh, that's my first choice. Nothing can stop you we are told. Reality says, though, this is why I want to talk about this. Reality says that most of us don't get to achieve our first choice world. 
In fact, maybe nobody does. <clears throat> in some aspect of our lives, there is something that is not as you would wish it to be. Could be something to do with your finances, or your health, or your family life, or your job, or your marriage. Consider Joseph in the Old Testament. He uh, had a pretty good life, and then all of a sudden he found himself living in Egypt, betrayed by his brothers, living in a dark prison, and seemingly forgotten, maybe going to rot there forever. This was his second-choice world. But in his second-choice world, he was faithful to God. He embraced it by faith. I didn't say he liked it. I'll never say that. But he embraced it in faith trusting that God knew exactly where he was and that God's doing something here even if I don't understand it. And so God was. It's amazing how that story turns out as Joseph, in faith, embraced his second choice world. Uh, Esther. In the book of Esther, Esther is a good Jewish girl raised in a, in a culture of sexual purity and she finds herself in the king's harem with a lot of other women, a play toy for this king of Persia. And uh, this is not her first choice world. And yet, she faithfully followed God there, and God used her to influence the nation and save thousands of her people. Or Daniel. Uh, Daniel found himself in his second choice world, torn out of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, taken into exile, living and being trained as a, to become a good little Babylonian. And uh, Daniel cooperated as well as he could, trusted God in the situation, didn't sit around longing for the good old days in Jerusalem or for the day when I'll finally be free. He embraced today, followed God, and God used him in his faithfulness to influence Babylon in a mighty and amazing way. And so your first choice or sorry, your second choice world isn't the end of the world. Uh, I don't mean at all to say that your second choice world is easy. It could actually be very painful. That's a reality. But I want us to approach it in faith and in a new way, perhaps. As we study Jacob's life, we find him living in a place he didn't want to be, several hundred miles from his home, <clears throat> working for a boss who wasn't very nice. But we'll see how God worked in his life and was using those circumstances to transform him and awaken his faith. Please, you and I must never say to God, God, get me out of this second choice world I'm in and I'll serve you. Oh God, will I ever serve you? Don't say that, you probably won't. Let God have his way in our life. It's so very important. I think we need a different definition of what we mean by a second choice world. Faith, because listen to this, faithfulness in your second choice world is better than unfaithfulness in your first choice world. Or I think we need a better definition of success, which we hear lots about today, individually or as a family or as a church. <clears throat> But hear this, success is living a first-class life even in your second-choice world. 
rather than living a second-class life in your first-choice world. Think through these values and these things, uh, their importance. God often uses a second-choice world to mold, temper, and purify us for his purposes and even to lead us to Christ. And sometimes it takes a while. We'll see that in Jacob's story. The third thing you need to know, and just for us to take notice of this morning, comes under the word faith. <clears throat> for a large part of his life, Jacob had no meaningful relationship with God. He knew there was a God. He knew about God, but he didn't know God, not in a personal way. He didn't have his own faith, and God was not his God. Through a large part of Jacob's life, whenever he talked about God, he spoke of the God of my father, Isaac, or the God of my father, Abraham. And God was, to Jacob, was his daddy's God. It wasn't his God. That's a very important river to cross. God must become your God. And sometimes it takes living in a second-choice world to embrace God as my God. All his life, God was just the God of my father, Isaac. What does God mean to you, Jacob? His answer would have been shrug of the shoulders, not much. I know he means a lot to my dad. Oh, man, does he ever. And I respect my dad and admire him. Uh, but uh, Jacob, what about you and God? Well, not much going on, right? And uh, that had to change in Jacob's life. Just a thought here about parenting. <clears throat> Dangerous subject. Um, <clears throat> I know that uh, there are lots of ways to parent. Um, but, you know, a, a, a current subject that I hear being talked about here and there is, uh, you know, how much do we, how much should we protect and provide for our children? And uh, um, we, we don't want to expose our children to danger or to risk that would be harmful to them. But on the other hand, this is just me talking. I'm not sure we should protect our changer children from every painful thing either, from every second choice world, because sometimes that's the only way we learn about God. God needs to become your child's God, and your child must not talk about your God, my dad's God, my mom's God, that your child needs to learn to be able to say, God is my God too, and here are my reasons why. And sometimes that only happens in the furnace of affliction or difficulty or stress or something like that. There's a, a story that was in the news several years ago of a, of a woman from Texas who so desperately wanted her daughter to get on the cheerleading team. You remember that from some school or something? That's a big deal down there. And uh, that, that she committed crimes. She committed crimes to manipulate her daughter on, onto the team so she could get on the team. And there was a mother who desperately didn't want her daughter to fail and miss the team. I think a lot of the world kind of went, ew, that doesn't sound right. And it's not right. So my only point here is that like Jacob, who needed to learn to understand God as his God, we need to, as parents, pray for our children that they would understand 
the God that you've come to know as their God as well. And that's not something you can, some script you can write into their life. Uh, God has to do it as he works with our children. <clears throat> we'll see Jacob change as God becomes his God. Last word is grace. This whole story is a story of Jacob's transformation and conversion from a self-centered man to a God-centered man, and it's a story of grace, God's grace. Grace is a dominant theme, as you know, in the New Testament. Grace is a very important concept in the gospel and of our salvation. We're saved, we know, by grace, not by works, not by performance, not by going to the right church, not by being the right person, but God's grace breaks into our life and we're saved as he works in our life and we respond in faith. <clears throat> over and over, the gospel message is that we are saved Okay, not by works, but by grace. Grace is God's favor extended to you and me even when we didn't deserve it. And we will see God's favor extended to Jacob when he did not deserve it. Grace is God initiating lovingly and patiently and even repeatedly in your life even when you weren't asking for it. Jacob wasn't praying, oh God, show yourself to me. Oh God, I want to know you better. Oh God, he wasn't praying that at all. And yet God was showing himself to Jacob and revealing himself and, and uh, working in his life. Unbidden, unprayed for. It's called grace. God is that good. And Jacob seemed to blow right on by it, right? Like, ah, didn't even notice. Uh, until later on, finally, he started to get it. I find I'm urging people uh, more and more these days to think over your life story. To think about the path that you've walked on. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and I got more highway behind me than in front of me right now, so I'm thinking about, about that. But um, I think it's important to think over your story, think over your life, and do some hard work on this. Don't, don't make it like one half hour project. Think about it for the next few years even about how God showed grace to you, how he revealed himself to you, how he surprised you, unbidden, unasked for. It's kind of like, whoa. Sometimes you'll notice and get it, sometimes you won't. He'll be back. And when we begin to see God's works of grace and, 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 and favor in our lives, calling us, inviting us to Christ, inviting us to the cross for salvation, inviting us just to know God in all of his beauty and awesomeness and his, extent, his invitation to us all, it should evoke from us thankfulness and worship and a desire to know that God better and better and better. I encourage you, be thinking about your story, putting it into prayers putting it into conversations, putting it into your witness to others about God. Jacob's story is a story of God's grace in an unworthy man's life. And at the end of the story, hopefully, we will all say, God is good. He was good to Jacob. He's been good to me. Next week, we'll start at the beginning of his life, Jacob's birth and teenage years. And our title is The Deceiver. Let's pray. Lord, in a moment, we're going to sing a song called, Lord, I Need You. And I pray that as we sing it and contemplate the words, 
that we'll be able to say that truthfully from our own lives and from our own hearts. Thank you, God of grace, for how you've initiated in our lives, even when we're not worthy, even when we didn't ask. We close by praising you and turning our face to you. Amen.